that is our desire is to be refined, to be holy, to be set apart for you. Lord, quite honestly, that's our only reasonable response for all that you have done for us. The fact that you took our penalty, everything that we deserved for our sin, for our rebellion, you took upon yourself and gave us life, eternal life. Or the only thing that makes sense is that we would desire to be holy and set apart in that life that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for doing that work in us. We realize that at times that means that we have to go through that refining fire. Lord, we pray that you would reveal those things to us that need to be done away with. Lord, we ask that you do that work in us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us tonight. In the middle of our weeks, all of us probably having very different weeks, some, some smooth and easy, others very rocky and difficult, but Lord, we know that, that you are in control of all of it. And Lord, we come here tonight to hear from you. We thank you for your word and the fact that it is alive, that it is active. And if we allow it to, it can do that refining work in us. So Lord, we ask that you have your way tonight. Bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening. Please take out your Bibles with me as we begin a new chapter. As Van mentioned, the book of Ruth. Not Babe Ruth. Yankee fans, Book of Ruth. By the way, uh, next Wednesday night is the Awana annual Awana Awards Night. So that goes on in here where all the kids get their awards for all the hard work they've done in Awana. Uh, I would encourage you to come on out and, and, and cheer them on and, and encourage them in it. It's a, it's, it's a fun night to be a part of. But I say that to say that we won't be having our regular weekly study next week. So uh, make note of that. Also, can you that, mean, that means that the school year is almost out. Can you believe that? <laughs> it just amazes me. It just seems like the kids were just doing the school shopping to get them ready to go back to school, and now they're going to be getting out here in just a couple of weeks. So. And with that, it also marks snowbird migration season. You've probably noticed some of that, and some of you probably preparing to migrate a little bit. And with that... Always, uh, as we enter this time of the, of the year, we do have need for, for volunteers in many different ministries. So if you've been waiting and, and thinking, you know, man, I'm just, I just not really quite sure where I can plug in and that type of stuff, now is the time to, to pursue that. And, and especially we have needs within the children's ministry. Many of our children's ministry volunteers, again, are, are flying north for the summer. So if you would uh, feel that call on you, especially I know they mentioned Saturday nights, um, even once a month if you'd be willing to just help out. Not, you don't have to teach. You don't have to do anything. Just, just love on the kids. So if the Lord might prompt you in that regard, please uh, see the children's ministry or fill out a ministry application. Get a hold of the office. We'd love to get you plugged in and serving. Well, the book of Ruth, if you were with us last week or been part of our study as we completed the book of Judges, we talked about the fact that, that this was a very dark time in the history of Israel. We mentioned numerous times, that, as it's pointed out, that they had no, no king in Israel. And we made the point that it's king with a little k. They had a king with a big k, they did, you know, being God, but they didn't honor him as such. And they, they, they turned their back on him. And numerous times, we, as we studied through Judges, time and time again, they would turn their back, they would rebel, they would become a part of the world, the, the worldliness around them. God would bring, bring difficulty and trials upon them, send them into slavery to, to draw them back to himself. And when they would cry out to him, he would send a deliverer or a judge to come. And we saw that cycle going through. And then the last couple of weeks, we looked at the last few chapters in Judges that fit in somewhere towards the beginning, first half or so of that time period. And we really looked at the, the depths of depravity that the children of Israel slipped into when they turned their back on God. 
and we saw that that is just, a, just a, a picture of what happens when people turn their back on God. And we don't have to look very far uh, in, in our world today to see what, that that very thing is happening even in our world as, as more and more people and, and, and organization, everything, turning their back on God, doing as it's said in their, doing what is right in their own eyes. Saying, well, I know God's word says this, but, but to me, it would sound better if we did it this way. It's more comfortable for me to do this. It's more, you know, politically correct and, and all of this type of, of stuff. And, and more and more people in the world continually sliding in that direction. And we see the effects of it. We see it all around us. It's the, the, as sin continues to take a larger hold on the world, we see the darkness and depravity. We see the, the suffering and the pain all around us. And we talked about that last week, that, that we can look at that and say, man, this is just, it's too overwhelming. And, and what, could, what could we possibly do? And that's where, as I mentioned as a kind of a precursor last week leading into the book of Ruth, that this is that little, that little glimmer of light in the darkness. That, that this, as we see in verse 1, it says, now it came about in the days when the judges governed. This, this book, this, this story that we're going to see t- as we study the next couple of weeks of Ruth takes place in that same culture, in that same time, when most of the, the, the Israelite people have, have done that, that very thing where they've turned their back on God, doing what is right in their own eyes. Yet we're going to see this, this story take place here. And it is a, it's a great story. It's, a, it's an amazing love story that many, many even extra biblical people outside of biblical scholars look at the story of Ruth as one of the most amazing love stories ever written. And we're going to see that. And, and the beautiful pictures, as, as we will get into in the coming weeks, of, of Ruth being a picture of us and, and Boaz being as the kinsman redeemer, a picture of Christ. And we're going to be able to see that. And it's an amazing story. As we, as we set this out, though, we need to again realize that, that God, in his purposes, always has left a remnant. He has always left a people, no matter how bad it got, he always left a, a, a people of his to continue on in his purposes. In, even, even going back to, the, to the, the beginning, when we were studying through Genesis, in the very first chapters, we saw that it didn't take too long, and the whole world turned away from God. And in that time, people lived a long time, and they had a lot of kids, so population exploded. Some, some estimates indicate that at the time of Noah leading up to there, that the, the population of the world was enormous. And yet, God saved that one family. There was that one remnant. That we see in Elijah, when, when the, the entire children of Israel seem to have turned their back, nobody would stand up with Elijah on Mount Carmel, and, and then he even cries out to God, God, am I the only one left? And he said, no, no, I have preserved for myself a remnant, and he continues to do that. And we see that, again, beautiful story here with Ruth, that God preserves a remnant, and this is an amazing story of, of redemption and, and revival and, and restoration in a very, very dark time. We don't often see the results of, of the things that we do sometimes immediately. And that's another thing that this, that's such a neat thing about this story. I doubt, obviously, that Boaz and Ruth had any idea what would come of this love story and, 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 and as it moved on through. I know it's not a good idea to skip to the back of the book, but let's do that just because. Just a couple of pages over, Ruth chapter 4. It tells us that, that the last couple of verses there, 21, and Salmon was born to Boaz, and Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. King David is going to come from this love story. Great, great grandma and grandpa. We're going to look at him today, King David. And then we see, if you remember back when we started our study in Matthew, that this line continues on through David and the Messiah, Jesus, will be born from this. So again, I, I say that because, again, we can look around and we can say, man, this is overwhelming. The world that we live in, 
I know many of us are are brokenhearted to see what is even happening to our country and, and the things that we are even discussing as we talked on Sunday, the fact that it is even being brought before the Supreme Court to discuss opening arguments this week and, and, and that about redefining marriage as, as a country, the fact that it's being discussed, I'm sure, brings great sorrow to many of us, not to mention the fact that there is great uh, momentum to even get that pushed all the way through. And we can look at that and we could say, well, what difference can we make? What, what difference could we possibly make in this overwhelming darkness and disaster? Well, we don't know what difference we can make. But as we talked last week, we need, to, we need to step out and continue to be that light in a dark world, regardless of how dark it gets around us. Because we never know what can happen as we will see we continue studying through here. Well, chapter one, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. We've mentioned often as we've gone through, and I don't, I don't make a big deal out of, out of names and meanings unless sometimes it really kind of points to something that, that can illustrate a point. But here we see some names as we begin out, out of the shoe. First of all, Bethlehem, the town that they are from. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Now how cool is that, that a little while later, the the bread of life will be born in the house of bread, (laughs) the birthplace of Jesus. But we see this, the house of bread. And and we we don't have to stretch that too far to make a very practical application. The house of bread, the, the, the word of God that we hold, heavenly manna, the house of bread. Judah, meaning praise. It's, it, it, you'd think when you look at that, man, what a great place to be, right? A place where, where we're in the word of God and singing the praises of God, Bethlehem and Judah. We see Elimelech, the man's name, the first one that we're introduced here, this man, Elimelech, his name means God is my king. Wow. That's just, all of a sudden you're thinking, man, this story can't go anywhere, but just straight up with the, the, the way we get out. Naomi, his, his wife, means pleasant. So here we have God is my king and pleasant living in the house of bread in praise. Awesome start. But it says in the chapter, in the, in the first verse, right away it says, and there was a famine in the land. There was a famine that came. And, and we see in, in, recorded in scripture many times that God used famine as one of those ways to discipline his people, that he would bring them, bring the famine to the land. Because quite honestly, famine is one of those things that affects no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how big your house is, you can't eat your house. You know, you, you, you have to have food. So famine strikes the land. And something happened to Elimelech and Naomi in this. Because we see their two sons here. First one, Malon. Second one, Chilion. Malon literally means sick or sickly. That's what they named their first son. Their second son, Chilion, means, means pining. You know, getting, getting weaker. So they named their kids sick and tired. <laughs> their, their situation that they're facing that even no matter the, 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 the circumstances around them, although it may sound great, they, the, the famine comes and they get, they get sick and tired and they leave. <laughs> they pack them up and they go. Guys, famine, it says it here, it's, it comes to the land. And in our lives, famines will come. Difficult times will come. Dry times will come. In many different aspects, this, this takes on many different, many different facets as we look at it. We, news comes that comes out of the blue. Things moving along, things are going great, and we get that phone call or, or a job situation or a relationship, the difficult times. But there's also, in our spiritual lives, there are dry times. 
Even if, you're, even if you are following after God and you're in his word, we go through those times. And by the way, that's not a sin. We all go through that. Where there'll be dry times when you're like, Lord, I'm, I'm just not... I'm just not hearing from you and, and, and that like, I, like I used to. We all go through that where we, man, you, every time you open the word and you read just two verses and you're like, man, that so ministers to me and wow, I could just run off through the rest of the day with that. And then there's other times when it's, you read two or three chapters and you're like, Lord, are you speaking anything to me today? That's not, not necessarily a, a, an indication that there's anything wrong in your life. We should always ask God, Lord, is there something? But a lot of times that is because he just wants us to seek him more diligently. We're all going to go through those times. It's not a matter of trying to avoid them. But when we face them, the bottom line question is, where will we go when we do? Will we continue to dig into the bread? Will we continue to sing his praises? The, the, the Psalms tells us, you know, that, that his word, when we meditate on it, when we do that, we are like a tree firmly planted. A firmly planted tree doesn't matter what kind of storm comes along. We can weather those storms. So staying in, in, in the word of God, staying in praise, those times when it becomes difficult, and even, even at times when we don't, don't necessarily feel like it, when we do, it's, not, it's, it's hard not to get caught up in it just because we are worshiping our true and living God. And then that, then that peace that floods over us, the peace that surpasses understanding, that comes from praise, that is, that is how we are to embrace these dry, these dry, difficult times as they come. God made this, this promise to, to the, the children of Israel and to us as his, as, his, as his people in Isaiah chapter 43. He said, but now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Don't fear when you face these. I've redeemed you. I've brought you out of Egypt. He's speaking to them, and he has redeemed us out of the sin of, and, and death, redeemed us with his own blood. I have called you by my name. You are mine. Guys, that's enough. We are his. And he goes on, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Even at times when we feel that maybe he isn't, we have the promise that he is. Through the rivers, you will, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. We have promises like this throughout the word of God, that the difficulties and trials, when they come, if we remain firm and steadfast and focused, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Unfortunately, we see here that when the famine came, when the difficulties come, they, they got their kids and they sold everything and they moved away from, from Bethlehem and they moved into the land of Moab. Now, Moab is, is an area that, that Moab, the Moabites were the descendants of Lot, through the incestuous relationship that he had with one of his daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how, the, that's how the Moabites came into existence, those people. And they've been a problem for the children of Israel continually and will continue to be. Psalm 60, verse 8, God says, Moab, speaking of them, Moab is my wash pot. And that pot was that multi-purpose pot that was certainly not a vessel of high esteem. It was used to wash your dirty feet in. It was, it was a, a wash basin. Could double as a uh, portable toilet if you needed it. That's, what, that's how God referred to the Moabites. So things get hot and dry. And Elimelech grabs his family and says, well, let's go for, let's go for a little swim in the toilet bowl. I know that sounds crazy, it sounds, it sounds silly, but if we look at this, it, it didn't happen, it didn't, doesn't happen all at once. Notice it says that they, they, they went to, to sojourn in the land. That doesn't mean that they were moving there permanently. They were just going to go kind of test things out, kind of see how it was. And unfortunately, we have to be so careful because so many people, when difficulties come, when the dry times come, they don't say, you know what, I'm just going to run off into the world. They don't say, I'm going to dive deep into the toilet. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that, but I'll certainly dangle my feet in. 
I won't go scuba diving. I'll just surf the internet instead of read the word. Instead of, instead of singing praise, I'll, you know what, I'll just turn on the TV because I just, I just got to check out a little bit, just, just a little while. And the, the danger in that is that once you start down that path, it's difficult to turn around and come back. The world will continue to draw. It tells us later on that they stayed there for 10 years. It wasn't just a, a quick little in and out, a quick little excursion, and then, and then we'll come back. 10 years. And there's always, always consequences. This isn't the first time we see of somebody acting this way and when the famine strikes, we can go all the way back almost again to the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham got these promises from God. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verse one, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in, your, and in you, all the families of the earth, earth will be blessed. Notice God says, I will. I will do all of these things. I will take care of you. And it's just a few verses later in verse 10, a faith test comes to Abraham. It says, now there was a famine in the land. A famine comes in the land when Abraham is there. And the word, that it says it this way. Now, a famine was in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Same, same story. But when I read that, it says, a famine came to the land, so Abram went. Almost like he didn't have another choice. Like, like, like just because this happens, this is what takes place. And the bottom line is, that's what happens when we start getting involved instead of trusting what God says. Remember, God says, I will take care of you. I will do this. I will do that. But Abraham said, well, I will take matters into my own hands in this because there's a famine, and I'll go do this. He walked by sight and not by faith. And the story continues. It came about when he came near Egypt. He said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I, told, I, I know that you are a beautiful woman and that the Egyptians will see you and they will say this is his wife and they will kill me and they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it will go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Not a real selfish request or anything. It came about when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. We see that God does step in to rescue this whole situation. Don't need to recap the whole story. The point I want to make is, again, there are consequences. We can look at this and say, man, Abram made out all right. He comes out alive. Actually, God intervenes and, and he comes out with his wife and everything. And we just read that he comes out with sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants. One of those female servants, Hagar, will be the mother of Ishmael, the, the father of the Muslims, the, the Arab peoples that are still enemies of Israel to this day. Far-reaching consequences, way beyond what he could possibly imagine or think at the time. I guess the point I want to make is no sojourn into the world. You, you don't come out without consequences. And the, end, the, the world will say that, that hey, it's, 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 it's not as bad as it seems. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, it had horrific consequences. Look at verse three, back in Ruth chapter one here. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. Elimelech dies. God is my king, dies. Sojourning into the world. They took for themselves, his sons took for themselves Moabite women as their wives, totally getting submerged now into the culture. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah. 
I know I'm going to mess that up before the night's over. It just jumps right off the page. Big O. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the women were bereft of their two children. The woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So Naomi, now her husband, her two children die. The wives that they had taken, their husbands are dead. Far-reaching consequences. Bottom line, guys, we can't, we can't outrun our problems and our difficulties. Running to the world thinking that has the answer, that doesn't ever eliminate the problems. No matter how bad it, how bad it may seem in the situation than they, that we are, it is always worse when we sojourn into the world. I heard it put this way, the mathematics of sin. It adds to our sorrows, it subtracts from our joy, it multiplies our troubles, and it divides our loyalty. We see the devastating results. By the way, when anybody else like bread? I love bread. It's my, I mean, it's the hardest part of ever dieting for me, that and ice cream. I love bread. And I was thinking about this earlier today, again, the whole house of bread thing and, and all of this type of stuff and the trials and the heat. What has to happen for bread to be really, really good? It's got to go through the oven, right? It has to be. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, speaking of the difficulties and, and, and why. God tells us why we, we go through them. He said, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you. God's not, God, by the way, God never tests us to see how we're gonna do, he knows. He tests us to reveal to ourselves how we are and, and what we still need to work on. To know what is in your heart. Whether you will keep his commandments or not, he humbled you and let you be hungry and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives on everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's the, that's the reason we go through these trials and when we understand this, even in the heat and the difficulties, it tastes, it tastes amazing when it's all done. Job's confession you know that at, at the end of, end of Job's trial, going through all of the difficulties and trials that Job went through, which by the way, few of us will ever have to face the, anything close to what Job went through. And he finally says, after his discussions with the Lord, and the Lord kind of puts him in his place, but he says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. <laughs> I spoke way out of turn. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will, I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Before I had heard of you, I had understand little things of you and understand that. But now after going through all of this trial and seeing your faithfulness and seeing all of this, now I know you. And that's God's desire, that we depend on him, that we walk by faith even through the trials. It says in verse six, then she, Naomi, arose with her two daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. She heard while she is there that God was blessing the people in Bethlehem, those that had stayed, those that were there. There was food now and, and, and things, were, things were good now and she heard of this. What, wonder, wonder if it went through her mind, man, if I'd have only stayed if we would have only trusted God in his word and just stayed there, we wouldn't have had to go through all of this and we could be enjoying what they are enjoying. Isaiah 40, 31, yet those who wait for the Lord, those who wait on him, wait patiently on him, will gain new strength and they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will, not walk, they will walk and not get weary. 
wait on the Lord. But she hears this, and it says that she made the determination then to return. If you're here tonight and you have, you have wandered out into the world, maybe not totally dove all the way in, but you've, you've sojourned a little bit. You've, you've wandered away from what you know and trusting the Lord in things. And maybe you're here and you totally have been. I mean, you're totally immersed into the world. It is never too late. As long as you have a breath left, you can come back. Just as, just as Naomi does here, she turned around and she started heading for home. And we never see in Scripture that God is in any hurry to do anything unless it is to run to meet the prodigal who has started to come home. We see that beautiful picture in the story of the prodigal son. When the father saw the son coming, he ran to him. You just make that determination tonight. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being in the toilet and I want to come home. I want to come back and he will receive you warmly. Well, verse 7, so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, Naomi's an interesting character as we will see through the story as we go through the next couple of weeks. There's, there's certain things about Naomi you think, man, she's really got it. You know, like it seems like right now she finally figured it out. Yeah, she was a part of, of what she did, going away. I don't know if she was a willing accomplice, probably going along with Elimelech. But now she realizes the error of that and she turns to come back. And you think, great, she's got it. And then you see here she's got these two daughters-in-law willing to come back with her, willing to live with her in this new land, in the, in the land with God and all of this. And she's sending them back home. I mean, we don't know why. Maybe it was out of concern for them that they wouldn't fit into the, the, the culture there because they're Moabites, but that certainly shouldn't be it. Hopefully it wasn't because they, that she was worried about what people would think about her bringing two Moabite women back with her, but it just it, it doesn't make sense. They wept there, but they said to her, no, we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi, she argues with them, return my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the land of the Lord has gone forth against me. She's trying to even reason with them because there was a, that tradition then that if if uh, your husband died, the, 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 the youngest son or the youngest brother would then marry that woman to continue on the, the line there. And she's saying, I don't have any other sons. And even if I, if I don't even have a husband, so even if I had a husband and, and I, I had a child right now, are you going to stick around for 18 years until he grows up? And she's reasoning, worldly reasoning with them, trying again to convince them. Verse 14 and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah seemed to make logical, earthly sense to her, and so she kissed her and returned back home. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you, or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. What a beautiful statement. <laughs> what a... What, a, what an amazing woman. This is really kind of our first 
glimpse or understanding of her other than she was following to this point. But what, what a heart that she has. And she says, I won't leave you. Understanding again now, they, they are basically, especially Ruth, I mean, the strikes that are against them, first of all, a, 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 a widow, a Moabite. I mean, there's like, she's got nothing to offer, nothing to bring, but she understands Naomi also being older and a, and a widow. They, were, they didn't have welfare and, and those types of things. They were going to have to scrape by, but she said, I won't leave you. I, I won't leave you. As a matter of fact, your people will become my people. Wherever you go, I'll go. And your God will be my God. And notice she says there, thus may the Lord do to me, using the word, the name Jehovah. He, she, there's something that has already transpired in Ruth and in her heart that this Jehovah, the true and living God, is her God. And when she's faced with the, the decision to go back to Moab, to go back to that place, even though I, I might have family there, what do they have to offer me that, that Almighty God and following you, I can't get? Nothing. Just like placed with the question that Peter that was asked and the disciples, after so many of the disciples left Jesus and he turned to the 12, he said, are you gonna leave me too? And Peter said that. Lord, where else are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. Regardless of what we face, I'm following you. And that's what Ruth says here. I will follow you and I will follow your God. When she saw, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. Now this is quite a journey on foot. Again, understanding two, two widow women that are tra traveling, they have to descend quite a bit from Moab down to the Jordan River to cross there and then ascend back up to where Bethlehem is. Probably a good three or four day journey. And we're not told any of the discussion that they have, but you can only imagine, right? I mean, talking about what it's going to be like when they get there and, and those types of things. And now after that profession of faith that she has made in the living God and all of the questions and understanding now about who, who this God is and, 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 and that type of thing, only imagine what a great conversation that must have been. When they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred. And the women said, is this Naomi? So Naomi and Elimelech, before they left, must have been pretty prominent people within this area because now they've been gone 10 years, they come back, but notice the women, when they see her, they're, they're shocked. Like, is that, is that Naomi? 10 years in the world must have had a really big effect on her. And they're like, is that, is that really her? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And she's, she, she says this, and, and in that, there's, there's a lot that is state, made in that statement. She is now choosing as her identity the circumstances and, and the outcome of her circumstances that she is facing from a worldly perspective. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me, call me bitter. And I'm sure you've heard that before, the, that the circumstances and the difficulties that we face in our life, two things can happen. We can either become bitter or we can become better. And obviously we see the toll that this has taken on her, that she says, that don't call me uh, pleasant anymore, call me bitter, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? We see a, a certainly a misunderstanding uh, of God in, this, in, in, in Naomi's statements that she is making. But a couple of things, there's, there's several different ways, like I said, different facets. We could look at that one statement that she made. I went, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Talk about a perspective change. If you would have asked them 10 years ago, she would have said, we're leaving empty. That's why we're leaving. There's nothing, there's nothing left here, so we're leaving. And she would have said, we're leaving empty, hoping to find fulfillment 
in the world. But once after spending the time in the world, she realized, you know what? I had everything. I had everything that I needed. Now, now I'm empty. You know, back then when I look at it, I had a husband. I had my sons. We had our, we had our family. We had our, our faith. We had our community. We had all of that. Yeah, it was tough, but we had all of those things. Now I come back and I don't have any of those things. It's amazing what, what those times there in those difficulties, walking away from the Lord, and anybody who's done it can, can relate, realizing that, that that is what takes everything away. But quite honestly, she's not empty. She's not empty. Let, let, just look at, look at what she does have. She's alive. She, she's not dead. She still has life. She still has opportunity. She has friends. And these people that were, it says that they were stirred because of them. They were, they were concerned when they saw Naomi. She has Ruth. I mean, that, wow. This, the, the one that's going to come alongside her with it. But above all of that, she has God. God's not done with her yet. God still has plans for her. And she's, the way she states this, though, she says, you know, that, that God is basically, she said, God is against me. No, God is for us. <laughs> and if God is for us, who could be against us? So she has, she has all of these things. He's not done with her yet. And you know what else she has? She has a testimony. A testimony, a couple of different ways we could look at that testimony. First of all, she's been through a lot. And the Lord brought her, I would say, pretty great comfort with Ruth and through this, this, this trial and the difficulty and now bringing her back to this. And when we have gone through difficulties and trials in our lives, when we come out of it on the other side of it and we see how God brought others alongside of us and he has comforted us through that, we have an amazing testimony and responsibility. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He says, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. We have abundant comfort. And part of the testimony that we have is as God has comforted us and brought us through difficulties and trials, we can then come alongside others who are then going through those difficulties and trials. But also, the testimony that she has, if she will just recognize this and, and, and turn around. Because so often, we feel that, that we need to we need to become we need to come across perfect when we're when we're going to go out and we're going to minister to our neighbors and to those our coworkers at work and you know come across perfect as though you know basically nothing I'm bulletproof nothing ever can come nothing can ever hit me and you know what some of our best testimony can be when the world around us sees that we're vulnerable that we go through tough times that we go through difficulties too the world doesn't have to see that we have it all together because quite frankly, we don't. Paul says a little bit later in 2 Corinthians, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels, not, not perfect, not totally polished, earthen vessels. But he, and he tells us why. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. God can then see that it's, or the world around us can see that it's God that is doing this. Not us. It's not the earthen vessel. It's God in us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The world needs to see that. That's the testimony that the world will embrace hey, we're going through the same difficulties and trials that you are, and I don't have it all together, but you know who does? The one who lives in me. He's got it all together. You know, 
We don't have it all together, but together with Christ, we have it all. And the world needs to see that. And that's an amazing testimony. Can you imagine the testimony that Naomi would have had? Instead of saying, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. If she would have said, you know what? It has been a tough road, but I'm getting better. And it's all because of, the God. It's all because of God. We made some horrible decisions, but he's brought me back. What a, what a, what a testimony that could be. It says... Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We won't go into, into chapter 2, because chapter 2 and 3, the, the story that this, almost chapter 1 is kind of the setup for the, the love story that's going to have, so we can look at chapter 1 as kind of our introduction to the rest, the rest of the story. But... I guess, again, to go back to the, the perspective that, that Naomi has in this. Because it's easy for us to, to fall into this. Where when situations come and, and difficulties come, and we can look at it and say, you know, she, she say, God, you know, God is afflicting me. God, doesn't, God, isn't, God isn't afflicting her. And God doesn't afflict us. Our affliction, all of it, fell on Jesus. If we were being punished for our sin, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Jesus took that punishment. We need to understand that even if it is by God's hand that certain things happen to us, it's not punitive. It might be corrective, but it's not punitive. It might be instructive. All of these things, we sang that song earlier, refiner's fire. These things that are happening to us as we go through those fiery times, those hot times, those difficult times, it is to refine us, it is to grow us, it is to transform us more and more into God's image. Turn with me, we got a couple of minutes here. Turn with me real quickly to Romans chapter 8. Some of you may have it completely memorized, but turn there anyway. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Notice it says at the beginning, and we know. Now, most of us in this room know the verse. But do we know the truth of the verse. That's what he's saying. We know that God works all things. Notice that says all things. He causes all things to work together for good. He is doing a work. And though we might not see it and recognize it every step, it says that we know that he is doing it. That he is causing it all to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he, lo- who, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the process. We are being transformed, conformed into the image of his son, into the image of Jesus. And he takes all of these things, these difficulties, these trials, again, some corrective because we have stepped out of line, Some are just instructive because pruning takes place and different things like that, but he's working it all together that we would be transformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I love the fact that's all past tense in God's book. Even though we are in the process, that's past tense to him. We, will, we, are be, we have been glorified even though we're in the process of it and we will be one day when we are with him. But then it says in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now we look at that verse and we say give us all things and we say all things good. And that's certainly a way to, to, to embrace that when we look at verse 28. And by the way, that's the same word. God causes all things 
to work together for good. And then later, won't he then freely give us all these things that he is working together for good to transform us, to, to make us more and more into the image of his son? I love Paul in, in, in Acts chapter 20, in the New King James Version, has it this way. But none of these things move me. All of the stuff that is going on around me, none of it moves me. Because I know that God's doing this work. And I know that he is transforming me. I know I'm belaboring the point, but guys, it's because we all face trials. We all face difficulties. We all face dry times. We all face famines, if you would. And quite honestly, we have, we have a few responses we could have. We could try to escape, but again, our problems, we can't escape our problems. We can simply endure, but... Guys, we're called to be more than conquerors. We're not supposed to just endure the things that we go through. We're, we're to embrace them because God is doing a work in us. I'll have the worship team come on up. We'll, we'll close with one final song. We've got a few minutes. Like I said, we don't have time to get into chapter two yet tonight, but let's, let's pray and we'll have Van and the team lead us in one song as we close. Lord, we thank you for who you are and the fact that we can trust in who you are. And Lord, that we can know because you reveal it to us in your word and you reveal it to us in our hearts and we can embrace the truth and cling to your, the truth of your word that we can know that regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we face, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, you will walk through the, the valleys with us, you will walk through the storms with us, and you will use it all together for our good and for your glory. Lord, our prayer is that, that we would always cling to that truth, that we would hold on to the word, that we would praise you in the storms. And if you're here tonight and you have wandered away, it's simply a matter of turning and coming back. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from sin, turning away from the world, turning and coming back. Coming back to the God who loves you, the one who gave his life for you. You simply go before him in your heart and you confess your sin. Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, have your way in us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand.